Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, again, we thank you for today. God, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts. We pray that your word would speak to our minds. Um, God, help us to know you better um, by your word that is not written by man, that was not written by an average normal person, but was inspired by you. Lord, we pray you'll bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Anybody renewed your license, your driver's license recently? Last year, did you go and do it in person or did you do it online? Okay, best thing ever, they let you do it online now. But I think you can only do it once online. You can't do it like consecutive times online, correct? No, it won't let you. Okay, so the, they let you do it online. So I did mine online last time, whenever it was. So the next time it comes up, I'm going to have to go in person and read the signs and read the, do the eye test and all that stuff. But when you do it online, all they ask you is, has anything changed in your vision? And you check yes or no. So we check yes, right? And so that's wonderful because my vision is terrible, even with contacts. Um, I have contacts in my eye right now, and I can barely see Sherry back there in the back. Like, I can tell it's Sherry, but she's blurry, and she's got a gun, so I know it's Sherry. Um, but I, I just can't see real well, right? So when I'm driving down the road at nighttime, I see these signs coming up. Like, I can tell, like, that's a, like a diamond, a, blue, a yellow diamond with something on it, right? So I know it's like a curve or it's a stop sign ahead, whatever, that kind of deal. Um, here's the deal about signs. Here's why they're important for me to see and for you to see while we're driving. Um, signs tell us what's coming ahead, right? Um, signs, road signs, they tell you, they give you instructions. They tell you to slow down or they tell you to speed up. Or they warn you about something that's ahead. They warn you that a school is up ahead. They warn you that a stoplight is up ahead so that you're not speeding through the stoplight and get rammed in your car and all that stuff. Signs are really important. The problem is, in my situation, when you can't see the signs, the signs don't do much good. Right? Anybody else with me? Anybody else's vision is just terrible? Robert was pointing at you, Nancy, so I'm glad you raised your hand yourself. <laughs> Self-aware, terrible. I can't see anything at all. Um, the Gospel of John, the whole Gospel of John, you know you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, right? The Gospel of John is one big sign. The Gospel of John is known as the Gospel of Signs. And the reason it's known as the Gospel of Signs is because in the Gospel of John, there's seven signs that John writes that points to Jesus. We're going to talk about this in a second. Um, but there's seven, what John calls signs, what we would call as miracles. John records seven miracles in his gospel, but he calls them signs. Why? Because they're 
pointing to something. They're giving direction to something. They're warning you about something. And there's seven of those written in the book of John. So what's the purpose of those seven signs that John writes? Well, thankfully, John tells us at the very end of his gospel, in John chapter 20, he says these words. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Remember, John only wrote down seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus did. Verse 31, but these signs were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there John is simply saying this, in the first 20 chapters that I've written you, there are seven signs that I'm giving you that points to Jesus. There are seven signs I'm giving you that points that Jesus is the Messiah, these seven signs I'm giving you are pointing to Jesus that, hey, this guy, he's the son of God. John is saying simply this, open your eyes, get your eyes fixed, get your new contacts in, get your glasses on. When you read this book, I'm pointing to Jesus. I'm saying that this guy, he's the holy one that's prophesied in the Old Testament. This guy, Jesus, the signs that I'm showing you, he's the one that is going to redeem you. He's the one that's going to save you. I'm giving you a sign, a big old glow-up flashing sign right in front of you. There's seven of them that this guy is the son of God. This guy is the one that we, uh, that we need to be looking at. This guy is the one that was prophesied. Hey, everybody, look at Jesus. Here is a sign that he is the one. Now, now, listen to this. John calls these signs. He doesn't call them miracles. Why doesn't he call? We would call them miracles, right? You know what the, some of them are, right? He turns water into wine. By the way, that's what we're going to talk about in about five minutes, right? He, uh, he feeds 5,000 people. We would call that stuff miracles. John calls them signs. Why does he call them signs and not miracles? Here's why he calls them signs, not miracles. Because the purpose of this book, as we read there in John 20, verse 30 and 31, was to point to Jesus, not to point to what Jesus did. I believe today, the church in America today, we get ourselves in trouble when we are more concerned with the miracle and not the miracle maker. Does that make sense? We're more concerned with what Jesus can do rather than who Jesus is. Now listen, we're thankful for what Jesus can do. Amen? We're thankful for forgiveness. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful for blessings. We're thankful for healing. We're thankful for the provision that God has made for us. But we can't forget about who God is. We can't forget about who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the prophesied Messiah. And that's what John is saying here. Look at him. Let's kind of set to the side what he did, but let's look at who he is. And he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. This whole book is a great big sign saying, don't miss this person. Don't miss him. He's special. He's holy. We'll get to what he can do. We'll get to the blessings. But let's not forget about the miracle maker. Let's not forget about 
the one that created all the things that we love in life. Let's not forget about the one that made everything. Colossians tells us made everything, was made by him and for him. Don't forget that one. Well, I call this um, upside down faith. You know what upside down faith is? Sweet, I'm going to tell you. If you're a note taker, write this down because this is good stuff. Here's what it is. Upside down faith. Uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 33, Jesus says this. Seek first my kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. So there Jesus himself gives us the order of what we should be seeking. We seek Jesus, and then Jesus adds all of the things, right? We seek Jesus and who he is, and then he takes care of all the things in our life that he can take care of. He adds all the things. Upside down faith is the opposite way. Upside down faith is us seeking the blessings and hoping to find Jesus. Us seeking hope, us seeking peace, us seeking relationships, us seeking love, us seeking acceptance from people and hope to find Jesus on the back end. That's upside down. Jesus says, you need hope? I'm it. You need love? That's me. You need forgiveness? That's me. You need peace, direction, healing? That's me. Jesus says that stuff is found in me. We get those things are added, an added bonus to seeking Jesus Christ. Jesus says to seek the kingdom first, and then all these things will be added to you. So why did John call these signs? Because he wanted to make sure that Jesus is the top priority, not blessings. Jesus is the top priority, not finances. Jesus is the top priority, not relationships. The whole book of the Gospel of John is one big sign. Hey, look at Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He can do great stuff for you. But don't forget to look at him and who he is. Amen. So we're going to look at the first sign that John wrote down here in John chapter 2. This is a story that, that many of you know, all of you probably know pretty well. And that is when he turned water into wine. It says this, John 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Stop. To all my married brothers out here, the next time your, uh, your lovely, talented, gorgeous wife wants you to fix something, I dare you, I dare you to say what Jesus just said. Woman, why do you involve me in this? My time has not yet come. If you do, you are more than welcome to come stay at my house for a couple days. We have a couch. To my single brothers that are out there, don't do it. All right? Don't do it. Keep reading. Verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me in this? Why do they give me a microphone every week, y'all? Every, after, every Sunday afternoon, I go home thinking, 
why do I, like, why do I tell those stories? Like, uh, anyway, keep going. Woman, why do you involve me in this? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then they told him, then he told them, now draw out some and take to the master of the banquet. Banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Uh, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom to the side and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he would reveal his glory and his disciples believed in him. So there you see the first sign that John wrote down. And he even told there at the very end of that section about why he wrote that was so that the disciples would believe in him. The disciples would believe that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God had sent. Let me give you a little background, a little history on, uh, on weddings in this time. Uh, biblical weddings in this culture and still even today um, they could last up to a week. They could be a week-long celebration of, of the family becoming, to, of the, the husband and the, the wife becoming one. Um, I have been to some fancy weddings, and I have been to some frugal weddings. I have never been to a wedding that lasted a week. I've never been to a reception that lasted a week. There's going to be a wedding here in March I'm doing for a, a couple that I, that I know, and uh, the the future bride came by this week with her, her mom and grandmother to kind of look at the building to get some idea for decorations and whatever else they do. Um, and I was telling her that I was, I was looking at this story here. I said, you know, their weddings lasted a week. Their celebrations lasted a week. I said, are you planning a week-long wedding? She said, Michael, we're doing everything we can do just to get one afternoon planned, much less a full week. I said, girl, I know it. I know it. Um, so these weddings lasted for a full week. These weddings were a cultural event. They were not just a party for the sake of a party. Biblical weddings were a cultural event where they celebrated and remembered their past. They celebrated and remembered their heritage. They celebrated and remembered everything from their culture and their families and their ancestors uh, from years past. So here we see this wedding was a week long um, and all of a sudden, they ran out of wine. And you may think, what's the big deal? They ran out of drink. Why don't they just go get some more drink? Well, drink then and drink today is a little different. We can go to the store and get some drink if we want some sweet tea, if we want some wine, if we want some Pepsi, if we want some Diet Coke. Well, we can go to the store. There was no stores back like that here in this time. So they were in, an, uh, they were in a, 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 like a little bind. For bigger than that, that the guests won't have anything to drink. Bigger than that was the fact that it was the family's responsibility to provide the week-long celebration for the husband and for the wife. So if they were to run out of wine or if they were to run out of food or anything else at the party, what they're doing is they're letting down their history. 
They're letting down their heritage. They're not living up to their ancestors because this is what their ancestors did. It was their culture. That was their heritage. And now it's their turn. And here you see this family all of a sudden is running out of wine. And this is where Jesus comes in. I believe there's three things. There's a bunch of things. But three things I want to talk to you real quickly about this morning that we can learn from this story. Number one is to notice the type of people that God uses. Notice the type of people that God uses. Who did, the, who did Jesus use to do the miracle in this story? Was it the groom? Was it the bride? Was it the master of banquet? Was it a Roman soldier? Was it the Roman emperor? Who was it? The servant. Notice Jesus didn't touch anything in this story. Jesus didn't touch the jars. Jesus didn't touch the water. Jesus didn't touch the cups. Jesus didn't touch the wine. Jesus spoke it, and the miracle was performed by the servants. I believe today it's important that we know that God can use us simply by being a servant, simply by being someone who is willing for God to use we have this, um, I don't know what it's called, we have this stigma, I believe, in our culture to think that we have to have a job title for God to use us. Can I just tell you, God doesn't care about your job title. God doesn't care about your bank account. God doesn't care what kind of clothes you wear. God doesn't care about your social status. You can be used by God with no money in the bank. You can be used by God and not be the boss at the business. You can be used by God and not be the most per popular person in your town. You can be used by God simply by having a servant and a willing heart to allow God to use you in your life. We, we have, to have, a, have to have a change of attitude and a change of perspective to think, well, he's in charge, he can take care of it. No. God doesn't care about that stuff. God doesn't care about what you've done before. God doesn't care who's in charge. God cares about you and your heart, having a servant's heart and being willing to do something for him. If Jesus was looking to make a statement on social status here, he would have let the uh, master of the banquet do the miracle because he was in charge of the wedding. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus worked through the servants because they were willing to do what Jesus said. They were willing to perform the miracle that Jesus spoke into being. I read this quote this week, says this, often we assume the boss is the fix-it man, but a formal title or being the most notable, noticeable does not set people apart to be used by God. He is looking for a heart that is willing to serve, not a resume that proves of previous service. God is looking at your heart. When we look at people and think that they would be a good leader, or we look at people and think, well, God would use that person, we use words like, they're smart, right? We use words like, they're put together. We use words like, um, they're a good speaker. None of that matters. What matters to be used by God is a willing heart, a submissive heart, a humble heart, knowing that you aren't good enough, but allowing him to work through you to be good enough to do what he has called you to do. Think about these servants in this story. They've never turned water into wine before. 
Jesus told them to fill up the jars. They didn't, he, the servants probably didn't even know what he was going to do. But they did it anyway. Not because they were the best leaders, not because they were the best speakers, not because they were the most popular people at the party, but because they had a servant's heart. We look for leaders and we look for, for, for people that God can use on outside things, right? People that look good, people that are smart, people that have a degree, people that have been there, people that have experience. God's looking on the inside. God's looking at your heart. You may be here thinking today, Man, I would love to do something great for the Lord. I would love to share his, his message with people. I would love to be able to serve people. That's not me. I can't do it. If you would say that you can't do it, I would say you're in the exact place for God to use you to do that thing because the fact that you are humble enough and to know that you can't do it, but you're relying on God to do it for you, then that is the exact person that God will use to complete his mission here on earth. And you may be thinking, well, listen, my past kind of cancels me out of doing anything for God. Maybe even my present cancels me out from doing anything from God. Maybe, you, listen, you don't know, like, my family. Like, you know, my, my people are crazy. Like, I, can't do, I can't do that. I made a list this week of the people in Scripture that, that God uses. Um, in Scripture, people go, go like this. Um, at the very beginning, we see... Uh, the very beginning of the nation of Israel, we see that God used a guy named Abraham to be the father of, every, of all the Jews. You know what Abraham did, right? He lived outside of God's will with his servant. Anybody ever been outside of God's will before? You don't have to raise your hand. You are the person that God can use. Jacob, remember he lied to dad Isaac about Esau. He stole his birthright. Anybody ever lied before? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You are the exact person that God can use. We had, had Moses, right? Moses got the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Before that, he killed a man. Anybody ever killed? Listen, just don't put you, don't, I don't want to know. Pretend like I didn't ask that. Just in case, you are still the exact person that God can use today. Then we had David committed adultery, he was the exact person that God used at that time. We had Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew was a tax collector. You know how many friends tax collectors had? None. You know why? Because they're tax collectors. Nobody likes those people. They were like the hated of the hated. God used Matthew. We had Peter. Peter cut a man's ear off. Peter, did, anybody ever cut a man's ear off? Sweet. That's good. Peter cut a man's ear off. He also denied Jesus three times right before his crucifixion. He was still used by Jesus. We had Paul, wrote most of the New Testament, persecuted the church, killed believers, persecuted believers, and he was still used by God. What I want you to know, what I believe that John is trying to tell us here in John chapter 2, is it don't matter about your past. It don't matter really about your present. What matters is your 
heart. If your heart is humbled, if your heart is a servant, God can use you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you used to do. What matters is on the inside. And if you are willing to allow God to move in your life, if you are willing to allow God to lead you to people that you can love, that you can share with, that you can serve, God will do it. It simply starts on the inside, not the outside. Amen? Number two, second thing we can learn here that we see about God is that God is an abundant God. God is an abundant God. Uh, we see Jesus here um, turn water into wine. And not only a little bit of wine, but we see him turn water into more than enough wine. What we know about this story is this. The fact that they ran out of wine means that the celebration was not just starting. It means it was two, three, four, five days into the celebration, right? Because any Jewish family would have had enough uh, food and wine for several days where they thought they had enough for seven days, but they ran out. So what we know, the fact that they ran out means that the party just did not start. They're not that big of drinkers that the party started yesterday and they ran out of wine today, right? There's a couple of days or maybe a few days worth of party and celebration going on here. And so they ran out of wine. So Jesus saw six large um, stone water jars the Bible says, John says, that those six jars hold 20 to 30 gallons apiece. So you got six jars, 20 to 30. Let's cut it in the middle, say 25. Six times 25 is? Thank you, Ed. Carolina education. 150 gallons of water that Jesus turned into wine. Now remember, this party did not just start. The celebration had been going a couple of days. It may have been closer to the end of the week. We don't know. What we do know is we have 150 gallons of wine here that Jesus provided for this party. I don't know about y'all, but that's a lot of drink. Right? 150 gallons of anything is a lot of it. I would love to have a tank of 150 gallons of 87 gasoline in my backyard right now that I paid 99 cents for like it was in 1997 when I got my license the first time. Sweet, good times. 150 gallons. Somebody did the math on this. I read this week. You know how many glasses of wine you can get out of 150 gallons? Anybody want to guess? Over 3,000. So what we have here is Jesus at a party, maybe halfway through the party, maybe a day or two left in the party. You don't know. But what we do know this is that the party is not starting, and Jesus provided over 3,000 glasses of water that he turned into wine. What's the point? Here's the point. Jesus is more than enough for you today. Feel free to say amen at any time. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus doesn't just meet a need. He is more than enough for you in your need in your life 
today. We see this time and time in Scripture. We see it here in John 2. We see it in John 4 when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well. The woman come to the well looking for water, looking for regular H2O water. She left with something even greater, even better than that. She left with living water that Jesus said never runs out. We see it again two chapters later in John chapter 6. We see that 5,000 men, maybe ten to 15,000 people come to Jesus hungry, needing something to eat. Jesus took a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, and spread that out among the five, ten, to 15,000 people. Not only did they eat enough there, the Bible says they had leftovers that they packed up because Jesus is more than enough for you today. We see it again in John chapter 8. We have a woman being drugged to Jesus who was uh, caught in the act of adultery. She was brought to Jesus. The people that brought her to Jesus expected Jesus to condemn her and to kill her and to order her to be stoned right there. She came to Jesus. She was brought to Jesus. This woman came as a dead woman walking. She left, as Jesus told her, as someone who is not condemned, go and sin no more. Jesus Christ is more than enough for anything that you need in your life. The problem is this. Go back to 10 minutes ago. The problem is this. We seek the need and not the need meter. We can't seek what we need. We got to seek the one that can meet the need that we have. And that is found in Jesus because he is an abundant God. He is a God that is more than enough. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come so that you may have life, and life what? Abundantly or to the full. Jesus is more than enough. You may think this morning, man, my family is in need. Jesus is the answer and Jesus is more than enough. You may say this morning, my finances are in need. Jesus is the answer. Money is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is more than enough. Well, my kids are slapped crazy. <laughs> I understand. I get it. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is more than enough. When I think about the blessings that I have in my life and over the past however many years, there's been a lot. And you guys are a part of it. All of the added blessings in my life is Jesus being more than enough. You know what I need from Jesus? You know what I need? You may not know it this morning or you may know it. You know what you need from the Lord? Forgiveness. Salvation. Heaven. And Jesus provides that. And if that was all that Jesus provided for you and I, he would still be worthy of our praise because of salvation. But that's not all that the Lord does for us. Amen? We have healing in our life. We have love in our life. We have relationships in our life. We have other blessings in our life. We have people that God has sent to us. We have, have clothes that we wear. We have food that we eat. We have a building here that we're sitting in now. We have all these other blessings in our life because God is more than enough. 
He is an over and, a, and more God. He doesn't just do the bare minimum. He does more than that because he is able to do much more than that because he is an abundant God. Amen. Number three, the third thing we can... Got it. As a fly, y'all, I got it. The third thing we can learn from this story um, is that this story, the kind of underlying kind of thread that holds the story together is that of obedience, is that of obedience. Um, go back to where the conversation that Jesus had with Mary, his mom. By the way, there's only five times that Mary is recorded speaking in scriptures. This is one. Um, so when Mary doesn't say a lot in scripture, but when she does, it's really important. Um, and here she tells Jesus, she says, hey, they ran out of wine. And of course, Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me in this? My hour has not yet come. And then what does she do? You remember? She went and told the servants, do whatever he says. Jesus didn't say he was going to fix it. Jesus didn't say, okay, I got an idea. Maybe we can take these six stone jars that you have outside. We can fill them up to the brim with water, and then I can just magically make it turn into wine. Then we'll take some of that wine to the master of ceremonies, and he'll taste it. He'll say, that's the best wine I've ever tasted in my life. Now, you, most people bring out the good wine early and the bad wine later when everybody's already drunk, but not you. You bring out the good wine now. That comes from me. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, why are you, why are you bringing this to me? And then Mary, almost ignoring what he said, ran to the servants and said, do whatever he says. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. If there was ever a time for us to follow what Mary says, it's here. Can I encourage you today? Whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever he says to do, do it. While you're at home and you're having your devotion, you're reading the word, maybe you're in prayer, God calls you to move, move. God shows you something you need to start doing in your life, start it. God shows you something you need to stop doing in your life, stop it. Even if you don't understand it, Mary didn't know what was going to happen. These servants didn't know what was going to happen. But Mary told them, said, you do whatever he says to do. What did they do? They did whatever he said to do. Obedience is all about having faith in the one that is calling you to move. Mary didn't know, but she believed. The servants didn't know, but they obeyed. Obedience is all about having faith in the one that's calling you to move. Because if God is calling me to move, and I don't know where we're going, I don't know what the outcome's going to be, I don't know what the journey's going to look like, I don't know that I want to leave where I'm at now, but God is calling me to go, it's going to take faith that my belief and trust that the one calling me to go knows better than me, that the one calling me to go is able to take care of me when I go into a place that I'm not going. The one calling me to go is able to provide anything that needs to be provided for me to go. That takes faith to obey what God is calling us to do. So my encouragement to you today, and I believe John's big sign that is pointing to Jesus being the Son of God here, is that when he calls, go. When he moves, move with him. When he leads, follow. When he calls you to stop, stop. If he calls you to start, start. 
Obedience is done through faith, faith in the one that is calling you to go. Amen? John's whole gospel is about signs, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus being the Son of God, pointing to Jesus being the one, pointing to Jesus being more than enough, pointing to Jesus being an abundant God, pointing to Jesus being able to be the Messiah that can forgive and save your life, pointing to Jesus being the one that can fulfill any need that you have, pointing to Jesus being the one that is an abundant God that can give you more than enough that you need in your life. My question to you today is do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see that God is all of these things? Then, do you trust it? Are you trusting God with your life? Are you trusting God with salvation, with your needs in your life? Are you trusting him to provide the things? Or are we seeking those things looking for Jesus? My hope and prayer for you and me is that our priorities are in the right place, that we're seeking Jesus and trusting Jesus to provide all of these things for us. Amen? The book of John is a big sign. I want to encourage you to open your eyes, open your heart, to look. Don't be like me driving down the road tonight when it's dark, trying to squint and see and can't see you real good. Like Callie's blurry back there in the back. But I know it's her because she's so good looking. She just radiates. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, we again thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for these signs that we read here in, in the Gospel of John. God, I pray that uh, God, I pray that you will use your words to teach us, to show us your sons and your daughters about you, not just about what you can do for us, but about who you are. God, I pray that our top priority as individuals, I pray that our top priority as a church. I pray that our top priority as believers will simply be to seek you. And your word tells us in Jeremiah that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So God, that is the prayer of our lives today, that we will seek you with all of our hearts. And God, we will trust and believe that you are more than enough to meet the needs in our life. God, help us not to seek the miracle, but seek the miracle maker. God, you are so good to us. God, thank you so much. We love you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.